Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, I invite you to head up to Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, and leave a positive review. This will help new listeners in the healthcare space find the show. And with that, we'll move on to today's show. Alumicare recently released an analysis that looked at the changing costs of treating COVID patients in hospitals. To share the findings of this analysis, I'm joined by GT Laborde, CEO of Alumicare. GT, welcome back to the show. Michael, thank you. Good to be back. GT, why don't you tell us a little bit about Alumicare for those in our audience who may not be familiar with your firm? Sure. Alumicare is in the business of helping health systems drive value-based care. We, we basically ascribe, we use hospitals' own medication, daily medication cost, uh, wholesale acquisition cost, as well as lab and radiology costs from their own cost accounting system to ascribe a cost to every clinical order. Uh, to make those costs kind of transparent to providers in real time when they're ordering things, uh, to sort of profile the behavior of different um, physicians of the same type so that we can see variation in the way they behave and aspects of that variation that drive um, unnecessary overutilization and unnecessary cost, and, um, and then have sort of a point-of-care interventional tool we call the smart ribbon that nudges physicians when they've sort of misbehaved in that way, if you will, um, with, with kind of clinical financial decision support, if you will, at point of care. So uh, doing all that stuff gives us access to real-time data feeds from a number of customers and allows us sort of a macro view uh, when, you know, there are, you know, massive new macro trends in healthcare, kind of like COVID has been. So let's dive into the analysis that you did here. What exactly were you looking at in this analysis? We looked at health systems that were geographically dispersed across the country. Um, you know, together they represented, you know, um, several million um, encounters with those health systems. Um, of those, there were um, something like 350,000 or so um, COVID tests that were done. Um, and so we zeroed in on, you know, who were patients that were testing positive with COVID that had had an interaction or encounter with the health system on either an inpatient ambulatory or ED? What percentage of those were, were inpatient? So what percentage got admitted? What DRGs did they fall into? What were their lengths of stay? And what were their costs and drugs used to treat, et cetera? And we looked at these over three different time slices, basically. We, we started with kind of what I'll call the early days, March 12th to May 28th. Um, we then kind of took another look in the sort of a middle period between March 12th and July 10th. Um, so we expanded from, from May to July in that analysis. And most recently, you know, we looked from August 4th until October 2nd, which I'll, you know, I'll refer to as kind of the most latest period. because so it was fascinating to see how some of these things were changing over time. That's great. And we're going to dive into a lot of the details, but, but what were some of the headlines, GT? What were the key findings in the report? Well, um, from a high level, I, you know, some of the things that jumped out at me are the percentage of um, tests that were positive was increasing for these health systems. 
the percentage of people who were COVID positive that were inpatients um, were increasing. Length of stay was decreasing. Cost was going down pretty dramatically because of a shift in the utilization of some of the very expensive drugs used to treat them. Um, and kind of the one asterisk next to that is remdesivir, which, you know, there was sort of a, a supply of that, that, um, you know, that was, that was made available without cost. Eventually that supply is going to run out and, you know, it's going to be an expensive drug when used to treat. So um, I think that's kind of the high level summary of it, but happy to get into some of the details. Yeah. So let's take a look at the dynamics surrounding medications because you, you did quite a, quite a bit of analysis there. What did you find? You know, some of the things that jumped out um, on the medications that were used to treat um, just the inpatients um, who were COVID positive, um, anticoagulants were number one in sort of the most frequently used drugs. So if you looked at as a percentage of patients that received a drug, um, anticoagulants were always number one, except for in the most recent period, um, the number one ranking switched to ulcer drugs, interestingly enough. So Pentoprazole is given to 27% of patients, and famatidine, which is Pepsid, basically, is, is given to 25% of patients. And it's fascinating because both of these drugs, you know, are, it, they're sort of a mini story, we think. It's, this is the data, and what I'm about to tell you is sort of our speculation of what that data may mean. But throughout these various periods, we've seen the utilization of different drugs sort of you know, sort of rise and wane, um, like, you know, famously hydroxyquinolone was, you know, really big, I'm sorry, hydroxychloroquine was really big in the, in the early period, something like 28 and a half percent of patients got that initially. And it doesn't even exist in our data. We can't even find patients really getting it. So it's fascinating because I think, you know, these ulcer drugs may be a similar symptom where there is some empirical data, you know, um, looking backwards, perhaps epidemiologically, we see that, you know, patients on certain other medications tend to have better outcomes. And really, without any kind of prospective controlled study, you know, clinicians are still gravitating to these drugs that just, you know, it's like, well, these are cheap drugs, they have very little, you know, risk and side effects what the heck, it looks like there's some association, let's try it, right? Um, so there's really been this kind of massive experimentation, you know, um, where we don't 100% understand this disease and we don't really know exactly how to clinically treat it yet. And we still see just a lot of experimentation and drugs that have some empiric support and, you know, and are cheaper and, you know, safer. And it's like, let's just try it. Um, so those were examples of that. Um, I'll also just kind of say a couple of comments on kind of the, the drugs du jour. So dexamethasone is given, a steroid is given to about 15% of patients in the most recent period, and about 6.5% of patients are getting remdesivir um, in this data set. So um, still, we think are kind of some of our better two drugs. And of course, there's some argument about whether remdesivir is really, you know, um, you know that, that efficacious, but... Um, that's sort of what we see in, in kind of the drugs du jour that you hear in the news. So let's um, look at a, another angle of your analysis because you looked at length of stay. Uh, how has that been impacted by COVID? Actually, Michael, I wanted to add, I'm sorry, I forgot to add one thing that your your listeners might think of interest in, and that's with the cost of medicine. So in the two prior periods, the number one drug in cost 
So if you just said among the patients who are COVID positive, in total dollars spent, what drug are we spending the most money on? In the earlier period, in the middle period, that drug was a drug called tocilizumab. Um, it's sort of an anti-cytokine storm, IL-6 inhibitor drug, um, and it's super expensive. It's about $2,400 per patient um, who gets it. That's how much money is spent on that drug. Um, so, but it was even only used in those earlier periods on about 4.5% of patients. So it was, it was the drug that consumed the most amount of dollars, but was only consumed by 4.5% of patients. Um, it has since dropped to about number nine on the, on the ranking of spend. Um, it's still the same price, um, but it has come down and it's only really used in about 1.1% of patients. So we sort of speculate that maybe it is sort of, you know, um, maybe in people's COVID protocols because it's so expensive, they've really kind of tightened down when it's appropriate to use that drug. Um, Yale had put something out, you know, saying maybe we should use it more frequently earlier on, but um, that clearly not doesn't seem to be the trend overall. Interestingly, lastly, the number one drug in terms of overall cost today um, is vancomycin. Um, and we held cost constant throughout this analysis so that we could really be looking at differences in utilization. Um, but um, the, about the same percentage of patients are getting vancomycin, about 15% or so. Um, but the spend per patient has gone up pretty radically from 120 to 339 to 734 in those three time periods. So, I mean, we can only sort of speculate, I, you know, vancomycin is usually part of the sepsis protocol and perhaps those sepsis protocols are getting initiated earlier in a length of stay and therefore each patient is consuming more bank, um, which is sort of driving that cost. But that has caused it to be the number one, you know, spend uh, in terms of medications. Yeah, great, great points, GT. I'm glad you rounded back on those. Um, okay, me, so you asked about length of stay. Yeah, you were say you did, you did, you did just mention length of stay. So why don't why don't we talk about that? Because I think you found some interesting things there too. Yeah, so um, that has seen a pretty nice reduction. You know, in the early days, in the patients that are COVID positive, the average length of stay was about nine days. Um, and that has come down to about seven days. So, you know, across the various periods, it's seen a steady reduction. Um, the non-COVID patients also in the hospital have stayed about the same, about five and a half days in this, you know, across this data set in average length of stay. Um, now, one of the things I thought that was interesting, um, you know, patients who are COVID positive can actually be found in almost every DRG you know, in the, in, in our client hospitals or in this data set. And it's because, you know, there are a lot of people who are positive, but really aren't in the hospital for COVID. You know, they just happen to be COVID positive, but they're in the hospital for another reason. Um, so a COVID positive patient doesn't necessarily mean a patient who is in the hospital primarily to treat that disease. So we then narrowed it down and looked at, well, what are the DRGs where most COVID patients fall? And, you know, it's primarily respiratory DRGs with complications and comorbidities, and, and, and the sepsis DRGs are the kind of five or six where they seem to, to conglomerate. And if I compare the average length of stay, say the most frequent is DRG 177, the average length of stay of patients without COVID in that DRG it's pretty much the same as patients with COVID in that DRG. So it's about, it's about seven days either way. Um, so, you know, while, while we think of COVID as this devastating disease and, and, you know, we hear a lot of these sort of train wreck stories of people staying for months, 
really, when you look across this whole data set, the data is telling me, you know, across a bunch of patients on average, um, you know, COVID patients are like, uh, you know, have a have a sort of a, a length of stay that's very similar to other, you know, complicated pneumonia cases, you know, um, pneumonia cases with with comorbidities. Well, that's that's at least some good news um, going forward here. Um, certainly uh, interested in your thoughts on what you think the implications are of, of everything we just talked about here. Yeah, I mean, overall costs have gone down. So just if I look at the med and lab and radiology spend, we focus on those three things because we feel like physicians control those, you know, things. It's gone from about thirty eight hundred dollars down to nineteen thirty per admission. So, you know, overall, it appears that hospitals are getting more efficient at treating COVID patients. That you know, cost overall are coming down. Length of stay overall is coming down, and that's to you know, their great credit of, of just learning from how to, how to better care for these patients. But we haven't figured it out. Um, and we see that in kind of the experimentation, like these ulcer drugs and some others, um, you know, that there's still some fine tuning going on about, about the best way to, to, you know, to clinically treat these patients. Um, you know, the most worrisome trends in this data are that, you know, the percentage of test positive were, are going up and the percentage of, you know, of patients who are positive admitted are going up. And so we hope that that doesn't, you know, that trend doesn't continue and that, um, you know, that we can see, hopefully that will reverse and we'll have less pressure on our health systems with fewer COVID patients, but um, we'll have to see. Great insights, GT. If someone wanted to find out more about Illumicare, where can they go? Um, a lot of this data, so we, we actually put a lot of this data on our website. You can actually interact with it and drill into each DRG and each drug and see the utilization. I put all the data from the most recent period so your listeners could interact with it if they like. It's available on our website at Illumicare, which is I-L-L-U-M-I-C-A-R-E.com forward slash COVID-19 is where you would find all this data. GT Laborde, thanks so much for coming back to the podcast today and sharing with us this very interesting analysis that you've done at your firm around COVID. Great to be with you, Michael. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.